Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, you already know you're in the right place. Have we ever let you down? Of course not. Today's buzz, three's a charm. What could she possibly mean by that? Let me tell you, we have barely scratched the surface of how the Internet of Things, you know, we call it the IoT, will impact our lives, our cities, our homes, our businesses. But breaking news, we're already hearing about exciting things in the third wave of IoT. I'm scratching my head, my beautiful red curly hair. How could we just be getting started and we're already in the third wave? Were we sleeping? What did we miss? Well, let me catch you up. The experts tell me wave number one was the sensitization of everything, meaning we were starting to collect data. Okay. Wave number two, what are we going to do with the data? We're sending it to a data center or a cloud to process it. But wait a minute, there's so much data coming in on the Internet of Things. Analysts say 60% isn't even processed. Well, is that a waste? I don't know. We'll find out. Wave three, that's where we are now. Harnessing computer resources at the edge. Sounds like a movie title, The Edge, IoT, The Edge. We're going to find out what all this means to you, to me, to our companies. This is Business Radio. That's what we're talking about, businesses organizations, industries. I have a panel of three experts, and we're going to see what they have to say. First up, I'm very pleased to welcome J.R. Fuller, who works on IoT solutions in the Edgeline Moonshot Business Unit at HP. And J.R. Fuller has sent me a quote from Frank Herbert, the author of Dune. Now, if you're like me and you're not really sure what this all is, I know I've been living under a rock. Frank Patrick Herbert Jr., who lived from 1920 to 1986, was an American science fiction writer best known for his novel Dune and its five sequels. And the Dune saga, yes, there were five of them, set in the distant future amidst a feudal interstellar society where noble houses in control of individual planets owe allegiance to an emperor and it takes place over the course of millennia and there's a young man named Paul Atreides, I think his name is, whose noble family accepts the stewardship of the desert planet Arrakis. I'm just going to leave it there. Here is the quote apropos to our topic today. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. J.R. Fuller, I love the quote. How are you today, J.R.? I am doing great, Bonnie. How are you? I'm fine. I loved a little education there. I think I warned you when I met you on our prep call, uh, JR, that I was going to do my homework, and I certainly did. I have about a half a page here of notes on Dune and Frank Herbert. So are you a big follower? Have you read the whole Dune? Well, it's not a trilogy. There's five, five sequels, so six of them. Have you read everything? So, yeah. So, actually, there's, uh, there's six books by Frank, but then his son actually picked it up. And I think there's an additional 14 books by his son, and I've read most of those as well. But Dune, I've probably read a hundred times. And it's Paul Atreides. Um, and there was actually two uh, 
movies, made-for-TV movies um, that were done based on this book, too. But it's very, very hard to capture. It's an amazing book, and you should read it sometime. I, I certainly will in my spare time. As soon as I go, well, I have two radio shows today. After the second one, I'll do that now. <laughs> JR, tell me something. How does this apply to our topic? We're, I've already dipped my toe in the water here. We're talking about the third wave of IoT. Some people don't even know what IoT is or that there was a first wave. So how does this relate to Only I Will Remain? What does this have to do with IoT and the business world? Sure. Well, so, I mean, I think a lot of companies face fear when they uh, look at change. And the Internet of Things uh, brings with it an awful lot of opportunity. But also with that requires change, changes to business processes, changes to the way people do their work, changes to workflow, changes to revenue models, things like that. So um, with that change often comes a lot of fear. But if you can just kind of stand steady, you can figure out where you want to go and you can utilize this technology to take you where you want to go, you'll remain. And not only that, you'll be stronger out of it. So I think it's very uh, apropos for what we're, what we're discussing today. I think so, too. And, and do you think, JR, before I move to our second panelist, do you think there is fear about the IoT or do you think there's more excitement and our business is saying, wow, sensors and data coming out of everything and everybody and it's going to be a beautiful thing for my business. I'll know more. I'll be able to do more. I can innovate. I can be more competitive. Or do you think they're saying, OMG, what is this thing? It's going to overwhelm me. I'm going to be the last one in the bandwagon. I'm afraid. What do you think the mood is? Well, I think, you know, I think I think there's the whole game. It, to be honest with you, I think there's some people that have gotten on it really fast and have uh, um, started to see that there's potential benefits. What what the IoT has been around for a while; it's not brand new, as you as you know. Um, so a lot of uh, a lot of people jumped on early, and they're sitting there going, "Where's the benefit to me? I, I read all uh-huh. these these things, but I'm not seeing it." Um, but there are a lot of people that are just. They've been working at their company for 40 years, and they don't want to change the way they do business. So there's a little bit of fear there, too. So I think it runs the whole gamut, and it's up to us as the professionals to make that easier, make it more digestible, and make it actually uh, have that return on investment that we've been promising for years. Thank you, JR. I feel calmer already. <laughs> Not necessarily <laughs> smarter, just calmer. I feel so much better having you on board. Thank you for the great quote and introducing me to Dune. I have to do something about that. Next up on our panel is John Elliott. He's Managing Director of Product and Offering Development for Accenture Digital. And John has sent me something that's also a revelation to me, a quote from Kurt Vonnegut, Player Piano. Let me just read a little background here. Player Piano was the first novel by Kurt Vonnegut, who lived from 1922 to 2007. The novel was published in 1952. It depicts a dystopia of automation describing the deterioration it can cause to the quality of life. Takes place in a near future society almost totally mechanized eliminating the need for human laborers. Now everybody keep in mind human laborers. That's a key to my third panelist quote coming up in a couple of minutes. So here is the quote from Vonnegut and it says I want to stay as close to the edge as I can without going over. Out on the edge, you see all kinds of things you can't see from the center. John Elliott at Accenture Digital. Welcome. How are you, John? Good morning, Bonnie. I'm well. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. Uh, Interesting. Are you a big follower of Kurt Vonnegut's and uh, have you read The Player Piano? I I am and I have. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite novels. It's uh, interestingly, it's, you know, more than 50 years before Race Against the Machine, but it picks up early on a lot of the central themes. 
Um, and, and if you read the book, it's, uh, you know, obviously Kurt didn't have a, a crystal ball, um, but he got a lot right. He, he didn't understand platforms and how, you know, I think uh, business would evolve and business models, but he didn't need to. He did talk about what it means for um, humans to be replaced by machines. And interestingly, the money that used to be spent on labor is collected as tax and spread around. And, and the overall mm. standard of living is going up across the board. Uh, but the, the satisfaction that, that uh, the, the you know, used-to-be laborers are getting out of their life is, is way down. So really an interesting book. Highly recommend it. Thank you. I'll have to put that on my list after Dune. <laughs> oh, <laughs> five, six, or 29 of them. Yes, I will. So, John, the interesting quote, uh, staying as close to the edge, I use the word edge in terms of data and IoT in my introduction. So how does this relate to IoT? Out on the edge, you see all kinds of things you can't see from the center. What's the relationship? You, you do. Be, beyond you know the issue of connectivity costs, um, there's a data quality question. So if you look at traditional historians in a manufacturing environment or, or really almost any IoT use case, um, the, you, you need to take an average of time series data. Uh, and, and the average, uh, you know, the standard has been around 15 minutes. Um, so with modern machine learning mm-hmm. algorithms, you, you really can't tell much from a 15-minute average. And at the edge, you, you, you know, there really is no limitation. You can process things with uh, uh, FPGA fabrics in real time, right, with, with a, uh, or, or, you know, at worst, a seven-second average, and really give you deep, meaningful insight into, for example, what the root cause prior to an unplanned failure event would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I thought that that's uh, using the quote a little out of context. The, the quote from the book was more about uh, uh, one of the characters, Finnerty, and, and uh, how he didn't want to become normal. Uh, you, you know, he likes being on the edge. And I think the rest of the quote is, you know, big, bold, beautiful ideas or something like that. But I thought, gosh, it exactly applies to our topic today. It's wonderful. And by the way, I have to tell you, you have full poetic license when you come on Game Changers Radio, John. So out of context doesn't matter to us. You create the context, and the context is IoT in the third wave. So I think it's a great quote for the show. Thank you so much. And I'll put player piano on my list for the next thing to read. Yes, yes, yes. And now let me introduce our third panelist. He is Dr. Shuki Idan, the head of technology and solutions management at SAP Labs Israel. And Shuki has sent me a quote from Karl Marx, and that's why I made a remark uh, when I was reading the description of Kurt Vonnegut's player piano talking about the eliminating the need for human laborers and what comes more to mind with a discussion of Karl Marx and laborers. Uh, Karl Marx, 1818 to 1883, was a German philosopher, economist, sociologist, journalist, and revolutionary socialist born in Prussia to a middle-class family. He later studied political economy and Hegelian philosophy. He published various works. The most well-known and the best-known was the 1848 pamphlet, The Communist Manifesto, his theory about society economics and politics collectively understood as Marxism hold that human societies progress through class struggle, the conflict between the bourgeoisie, the ruling classes that control the means of production, and versus the working classes, the proletariat that work on these means of production by selling their labor for wages. There I made a long circle, Shuki, and getting it back to the quote from Vonnegut. So, Karl Marx, and here is the quote Shuki has selected. The production of too many useful things results in too many useless people. Wow. Dr. Shuki Idan, how are you today, Shuki? I'm fine, thank you. 
Thanks for joining us. Talk to me. Are you? Go ahead. Yeah, so, so Karl Marx came to my mind because, you know, when we talked about this show, I, I was supposed to be in Berlin and, uh, you know, I'm now in what used to be East Berlin and where you can see still uh, statues of uh, Karl Marx in the street, uh, which mm. is nice. Uh, and I picked this, this one uh, again. Uh, at that time, uh, people were thinking about, you know, machines will replace uh, people and... Uh, it still didn't happen, and don't think we are yet close to it. Uh, I wanted, in fact, to emphasize uh, the word uh, "useful." And uh, in on one hand, we still want to do useful things. I mean, many of the things we develop are not useful, and uh, hopefully, we will find the useful things to develop. But uh, people. Uh, are still needed in all those processes to my taste in in the IoT space even too much. Uh, in, if you if you look at investment in IoT solution, you see that uh, a lot of money, something like six trillion dollars, uh, will be invested in solution in the IoT space in the next five years. But when you look at the estimation on how much labor and maintenance and service is associated with that, you know the numbers go between. Uh, 10 times to 100 times. I mean, it's a, it's a huge number, which says that uh, still people are needed, but maybe they are needed too much. And this goes, in fact, to, to more automation, to, more, to have the effect of uh, taking those things, plugging them in, mm-hmm. and make it work as a plug-and-play. And this is uh, something that, to my opinion, uh, we are using. The other side of it is uh, which relates to... What JR said, uh, the fact that uh, we still no, don't know, exactly, you know, how to, what, what should be those things doing? We don't, the business models change, uh, the rules of game change, and uh, those solutions still need to be accessible to people who can control it easily. So we also to take those people or the, the programmers out of the group as much as possible and make, in fact, Internet of Things, uh, bring it to the hands of the business users. So, Thank you, Shuki. Very, very interesting. It's, it's uh, interesting to me how three panelists from different companies, different parts of the world can all come up with such interesting quotes that somehow all tie together. That's because you're all so smart and you're all so interested in this topic, and I appreciate it. Let's circle back to Jay. There's a compliment in there, guys. J.R. Fuller, I'm going to circle back to you. It's time for our little What's in Your Cup Today segment. I'd love to know what you're drinking right now, only if it's interesting. And if not, what would you rather be drinking or what will you be drinking later? later on after the show. So, J.R. Fuller, where are you calling from, and what is supposed to be in your cup today? Let's change it that way. So, I am calling from uh, Houston, Texas. We are currently underwater. Um, there's been uh, 100-year floods happening here, and I actually spent about an hour trying to get to the office and couldn't today. I am drinking water. Um, not <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You're not, you're not, not drinking the water that's flooding it. <laughs> oh, yeah, my God. Go ahead. Figuratively. But I'd rather oh. be drinking uh, lemonade, to tell you the truth. I'd rather be drinking lemonade, which is appropriate as well. So. What would that lemonade be? Is it something you make uh, homemade? Is it you want to give us a quick recipe, Jr.? Yeah, so <laughs> you know, I, I you know, I'm I'm pretty simple. I like that uh, Minute Maid frozen lemonade, and you put about two thirds of the water that they tell you to put in it, so it's a lot sweeter, a lot tarter, and uh, a little more, you know, a little more kick to it. Um, I don't like my lemonade watered down, um, 
and, and it's appropriate because, you know, when you're given lemons, you uh, you make lemonade, right? <laughs> right now, That's what you're supposed to. in this weather, and we're <laughs> trying to make the best of it. So. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Well, here's to lemonade. You know what? It's It was almost 80 degrees here in New York, and Sunny, you're probably very jealous, JR, but we are having finally, finally magnificent weather here on Long Island, and uh, it's, uh, by the way, it's primary day today, so everybody in the New York area, get out and vote. The polls in most places started at 6 a.m., and if not, we're at 10, 19 a.m. here East Coast time, and so there's, some of them upstate are opening at noon, but for goodness sake, get out and vote. It matters. It counts. There's my little political uh, statement there. John Elliott, where are you calling from, and what are you drinking, or what do you wish was in your cup today? It is a beautiful morning in Los Angeles, California, and I am drinking uh, uh, Pete's, and really the hotel selected, so I can't take a lot of credit for it, but I'm enjoying immensely uh, Major Dickinson's blend. And I and I, uh, it's it's actually uh, you know full bodied, not bitter. Um, I I looked it up just to kind of see where where it originated, and it was mm-hmm. uh, came out of their shop in Berkeley. Um, and I was in Berkeley yesterday, right? So I I thought uh, you, you know it's it's kind of perfect. So this is uh, new to me. I I am a coffee drinker, like a good cup of coffee, and this is one that uh, I'll have to keep in mind going forward. We got some good synchronicity going on there. Glad to hear that. Yes. And we're going to take a quick break. Our topic today is the Internet of Things, the third wave already. That's right. If you didn't know what the IoT is, we've already explained that, but we'll do it again. If you didn't know there was a first wave, we'll talk a little bit about that in the second wave, but catch up for goodness sake. We're talking about the third wave. What does it mean to you, your business, your industry, and all of that good stuff? I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and by the way, they don't let me have caffeine on radio show days. And I think you all know why. You're listening to the future of the future with Game Changers Radio. This is one of our newer series, episode number four for Keeping Track. And a shout out to Brad Borkin at SAP and Susan Walker, both of the UK who sponsor this series. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, a lot more from our special panelists, J.R. Fuller, John Elliott, and Dr. Shuki Idan. We will find you, Shuki. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Justin out. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network an unprecedented pace of change driven by exciting technology advances like the internet of things is disrupting your industry and every other industry around the globe your future business success will be influenced by your ability to understand and harness these innovations and many more Mobile devices instantaneously connecting the world populations, robotics, 3D printing, and self-driving cars, the sharing economy, and ubiquitous global business networks. Reality Check. The future is happening right now. Join us for insights from industry experts on what it all means for your business and your daily life. The Future of the Future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're 
listening to The Future of the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of the future with Game Changers. Indeed, the future is here. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're talking today with J.R. Fuller at HP Enterprises and John Elliott at Accenture Digital. And I think we still have Dr. Shuki Idan at SAP Labs in Israel on the line. We're looking for Shuki right now. Our topic today is Internet of Things, the IoT, the third wave already. We've already had a good introduction, some great opening quotes from Frank Herbert Dune, from Kurt Vonnegut, Player Piano, and from Karl Marx of all people. Let's get started on our roundtable. J.R. Fuller at HP Enterprise. I'm going to start with the talking points you sent me, and let's open up the roundtable right now. So here we go. You say the third wave of IoT is harnessing computer resources at the edge. This will change everything, much like the iPhone changed phones. So let's just start with the real basics and get down to the changes, the edge. Let's let's re reset here so everybody knows what we're talking about. JR, why don't you get started, please? Sure. So the, the analogy that I used is the iPhone. So if I had asked you a decade ago, do you think that you will be looking at your phone a hundred and fifty times a day? You would have laughed at me. You would have said, No, there's no way possible because ten years ago your phone was basically a phone. It's received calls, it made calls, it got text messages and sent text messages. So you looked at it maybe 10 times a day. Well, today, because of the invention of the smartphone, that is a computer that we've put in your hand, right? There is, mm-hmm. this is a compute device that's in your hand. And so now you look at it and you update your stock markets and you check your bank balances and you do your online dating and you do your Facebook and your Twitter and you listen to your radio stations and those things. And these things weren't available 10 years ago, but putting that compute power in your hand made those things available, made it more useful to you. Well, the third wave of IoT, so the first wave, connect everything up, second wave, send everything to the cloud, third wave, take that data center compute and move it out of the data center and move it at the edge where the things are in the internet of things. So move it next to the pump or the drill or the you know smart meter in your house, those things. Putting that compute power there will change everything. How it will change, uh, we don't know. I, I couldn't have told you again that you would have looked at your cell phone 150 times a day. I mm-hmm. do know some, you know, some things that will happen. We'll be able to monitor the condition of your equipment. We'll be able to predict your maintenance cycles. We'll be able to provide you with information about your thing or your process or your data flow that uh, we weren't able to do that before, but it's really exciting. I mean, you can almost imagine a, a industrial app store for a manufacturing company or for a, a retail shop or for a oil and gas company where, you know, you, you subscribe and you can download things that will help you in your production process, your manufacturing process. So it's really exciting time. And taking this and putting this power in your hands at the edge where it does not exist today, um, that's pretty exciting. It's going to change everything. Thank you very much, JR. Uh, John, John Elliott, Accenture Digital, talk to us. What do you think about what JR just shared? Agree, disagree? Anything you want to add to that, please? I, I totally agree. And I think JR just covered a whole lot of ground. The, the, uh, 
the edge piece itself, you know, the, the interesting thing I would say about that, there is no question it's not just a cloud play. Um, certainly we've distributed compute and ML and eventually I think some AI at the edge. That's the one that's really interesting to me. And, and when you talk about artificial intelligence, we're seeing devices at the edge that are, are making decisions, not just rule-driven decisions, but real decisions. And the, the best example of that, of course, is autonomous vehicles, and everyone's reading the press about that, at, at least uh, uh, in the U.S. and California in particular, Google and some of these companies. Um, but I think it's going to pose certain ethical challenges as well. And, uh, and mm. I'll give you kind of the famous example people talk about. Yeah. Um, what, what happens when the car... Uh, tries to decide whether to take you into the truck that's in front of you that you didn't see that's now stopped in the road or, you know, to the line of school children, God forbid, standing on the sidewalk waiting for the bus, right? How, how do you program that device? Is it, is it designed to preserve the driver's life, you, you know, the, the life of the school children? Uh, or, or maybe it's the vehicle, right? It's provided by the insurance company. Who, who knows, right? And, uh, so I think, uh, you know, this is really, really an interesting topic for us. And the technology is there. It's been there for a while. But what to do with it, I think that's, that's what we're wrestling with now. Thank you very much. I understand we have Shuki Idan back. Shuki, thoughts on what we're talking about so far with JR started the topic and John Elliott at Accenture expanded. What are your thoughts on where we are? Shuki? So uh, I, I agree with uh with this uh, emphasis now on the edge, uh, I think that beyond the ethical things that were mentioned, uh, you know, in some cases we cannot avoid having processing on the edge. Uh, let's, let's even take, you know, uh, compliance in different countries for medical data. In some cases you would need to filter some of the things on the edge. You will not be able to transmit those things over the air. So uh, there is a need to do things on the edge. Uh, for me, the next thing is, in fact, uh, the cap- most of the applications that we see today, you know, take uh, information from, from the edge, do some analysis, some decisions which are critical from timing perspective, like uh, the safety example that was given mm-hmm. before needs to happen on the edge. But for me, the, the interesting thing will be when we'll be able to close the loop. So the business application at the end be able to information to it. So, something technicians or others, but also being able to go back is what we need from the Shuki, we're having a lot of trouble hearing you. We're getting a very bad line, so I'm going to move on. And thank you for your comments. We heard most of what you said. So, yes, I'm going to. They're going to have you have you call back. I'm going to circle back to J.R. Fuller at HP Enterprise. J.R., any thoughts on what John Elliott added and Shuki Idan added to your topic? Yeah, no, uh, John makes a, an excellent point. There is a whole lot of ethics and uh, things that, that are yet to be determined, decided. I mean, as we connect cars... Um, you know, cars are a perfect example. Uh, 
and, and it's a really great example of edge computing. You definitely, if you're traveling down the road at 60 miles an hour, don't want to send a, a something to a data center to figure out if you should stop the car and you know, not hit a child. So um, perfect example. And, and you, there's a lot of ethics that need to be figured out. And, and as this, as with anything, as the technology is there and enables things, we need to make sure that we're consciously making decisions and, and proactively deploying it in ways that benefit us, not just um, doing it for technology's sake, right? Thank you. I'm ready to move on to another topic. I'm looking at John Elliott's notes, Accenture Digital. John, let's talk about who is leading this charge. Uh, you say here the IoT is expected to be led by the enterprise. And looking back a little bit, you say the mobile revolution was consumer-driven. However, the IoT could well be enterprise-driven given the progress industrial companies have started to make using sensors and intelligent devices. So uh, did Al Gore invent the IoT? <laughs> <laughs> had to ask to, it, John. You'll have to I, ask I, Al. Uh, I, I, he must be hanging around a, a, a primary polling place here in New York somewhere. I don't know who he's for or against this time, but I'll find him today and ask him. So enterprise-driven, what does this mean? Are, are they hiring the people to put all the sensors in place? Are the enterprises saying, let's go in the back room and let's get all these data scientists to invent more sensors and more ways to get more data and more analytics? What, what does this mean, enterprise-driven, to us? Sure. No, I, I think it's a question of uh, who benefits, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. business case driven. It's, it's ROI. It's not exclusively enterprise. Um, it, you know, of course, we saw a lot of the early consumer applications uh, around health and wellness, and we just talked about connected vehicle, which, which is interesting and goes well beyond fleet. Um, but we see some major trends. And probably the easiest business case to make is around data discovery in support of streamlining operations, right? So, so how do I, I make my workforce more efficient? How do I better anticipate, uh, uh, you know, what, what used to be perhaps surprise outages um, so I can increase utilization? How, how do I manage uh, the energy associated with my plant or my pipeline or whatever it might be? Often this is how it starts. Um, and, and uh, you know, it's related to another comment I made about being analytics-led. Um, this mm-hmm. is where Accenture, who's typically focused on outcomes and transformation, uh, often start. This is where it begins. It's not so much a network, uh, you, you know, connect my devices and then work my way up and figure out what to do with the data. It's, it's more about what outcome am I trying to drive and then work my way down to, to figure out the underlying uh, solu- solution architecture. So you, you could argue that mobility was uh, was just the opposite. It really was consumer-driven. Even in the enterprise, a lot of the big phone manufacturers, their strategy was BYOD. If, if I can win, uh, mm-hmm. you know, JR and Shuki and John and Bonnie, um, then their companies will have to figure out how to accommodate, you know, their, their smartphones over time. This is, this is quite different. We think two-thirds or more will actually be driven by the enterprise. Hmm, interesting. Shuki, I know you're back with us. Shuki, thoughts on this? Agree or disagree with John? Is it going to be driven by the enterprise? Do you have a different point of view? I think that for the moment it will be driven by the enterprise. Uh, I think that there is a need of a lot of simplification until the consumer can plug, play, and enjoy. Uh, and there, is no need, there is no brain that, uh, you know, when I walk into the room that... Uh, the temperature that my phone measures will control the air conditioning. It doesn't happen since because 
there is no agreement on standards. There are about 100 standards which are, which are being discussed in the area of IoT. But once this is solved, I'm sure that uh, consumers will enjoy it. Uh, I don't know if more than the enterprise, but uh, at, at some point we will have uh, consumers uh, enjoying more the IoT. Shuki, do you think there's a sense of big brother, big sister, mommy and daddy watching with the IoT when we find out that our doctors are saying, here, uh, let's send the data from your Fitbit or from your heart monitor to Dr. XYZ or to Bank XYZ so that you can get a better interest rate? I know there's a bank in Russia that's doing that. Prove using a wearable, which has sensors in it, that you are healthy and we will reward you with a financial benefit. Do you think people feel on the consumer side? feel some kind of intrusion that maybe the enterprise is ignoring or doesn't want to pay attention to? Shuki, what's your thought? I, I think that uh, you know, it, it sounds scary mm-hmm. if you watch a certain chapter of Homeland people control the heart monitor of a person and kill him you know, remotely, etc. But uh, my, my gut feeling is that the uh, Governments and legislations will take care of that. As today, you know, uh, my medical information should not pass from one organization to the other. Mm-hmm. Be used. The, the same type of legislation should exist on those kinds of uh, new technologies. So it's a matter of legislation, and I'm quite uh, comfortable that, you know, what needs to happen will happen. Okay, thank you. Interesting. I was just asked to sign a HIPAA statement at my dentist office yesterday. I have no idea why. It's just a private dentist with three three uh, uh, hygienists, and I was asked to sign a, a HIPAA talk about privacy. I'm not sure where that that information would be going about how often I get a teeth cleaning, but uh, what can I tell you? Very interesting privacy topic. Let's circle back to JR. Yeah, go ahead, Chuki. You can always refuse to sign. Okay, well, I didn't see any need. I didn't know why, but I didn't know why not. But that's, that's a good point. Uh, okay, let's circle back to J.R. Fuller at HP Enterprise. J.R., thoughts on what, is this enterprise-led, really? Any thoughts on what John and Chuki have shared so far, please? So, yeah, so there's, uh, so obviously HP Enterprise, we're, we're focused on the enterprise. So um, the, uh, the IoT, we, we often break it down into the IoT, which sometimes refers to this great big thing, um, and including consumer and enterprise. And then uh, more specifically, we kind of slice it to the IIoT, which is the industrial internet of things. Mm-hmm. And this is much more specific. And this market is estimated by the an- analysts to be four or five times the size of the consumer market. Um, it's that big. I'm working right now with a, an industrial pump manufacturer that's been in business for 200 plus years. They have about 3 million pumps out in circulation in their customer sites, only a thousand of them have sensors and they're able to actually touch. So mm. huge, huge opportunities here for wave one, wave two, and wave three of the IoT to gather information, harness that, and then enable them. And what they're really looking at is uh, potential new revenue models. So a lot of people are talking about moving from a CapEx to an OpEx type of environment. So instead of buying a pump or an airplane engine or a turbine, I am buying what that, I'm buying thrust or I'm buying power or I'm buying flow and those types of things. So this is absolutely a huge driver. Completely agree. 
Thank you very much. John Elliott, I'm going to circle back to you since you opened this part of our discussion on the roundtable. John, any thoughts you have on what your colleagues on the panel have added to and commented on your topic? Talk to me. Sure. I, I thought uh, well, I thought both comments were great. Um, just, to, just to kind of pile on JR's last comment. So the first area we're seeing is streamlining operations. The second area is for sure product-to-service transitions. So just to unpack that one a little bit more, um, I think all of our clients are wondering how IoT will impact their business going forward. Um, mm-hmm. And lots and lots of examples of, of people who used to OEM physical products that now want to transition to, uh, you know, those products providing platforms for new services. And, and you can't pick, I mean, I think uh, JR just mentioned jet engines and a, and a few things. It can be really low-tech, too. We, we have a large tire manufacturer, um, a high-quality tire manufacturer, under competition from uh, some, some uh, you know, maybe lower quality or low cost, I'll, I'll say it that way, competitors, uh, and, and really struggling in the market. Um, and, and they have determined that, hey, you know, because you can arbitrage a warranty and cost of warranty, et cetera, uh, if, if you just focus on the point of sale. But by selling tires per kilometer, tires as a service, um, mm-hmm. then, then they're adding cost, right, to their competition. So they've introduced this to their fleet customers who uh, are, are buying something as simple as tires, but in a new way, they're instrumented and they're selling per kilometer, and it allows them to continue to focus on manufacturing very high-quality tires um, but be very, very competitive, right, so playing to their sweet spot. And we're seeing that across all industries, not, not just industrial uh, Internet and operations, but, you know, people who manufacture stuff in transportation related to spaces, um, in healthcare. Very, very exciting, very fast moving. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm going to move on to another topic. Um, very interesting. I'm looking at your notes, Shuki Eden, and I found something. Uh, it's kind of a warning or a red flag. Let me read it, and then you can comment, and we will ask JR and John to add their thoughts as well. You say, we will not be able to manage large IoT, Internet of Things, without machine learning and self-adaptation of the logic. And let me just add one more line here from your notes. Looking at the complexity of things without self-learning will either be doing things in a suboptimal way, or it will, quote-unquote, explode in our faces. We will not be able to manage it. Shuki, this is, sounds like a warning yeah. bell or a red flag you're raising. Talk to us. What does this all mean? So, uh, I mean, this is some some kind of this is some kind of experience that we gathered. Uh, you know, installing large deployments of IoT in in many cases, uh, you invent, in fact, the, the science. Uh, one of our customers, for example. Uh, is a large train company that wants to use IoT in order to move from uh, scheduled maintenance, which happens every X uh, miles or uh, every uh, uh, certain number of uh, mo- uh, engine hours, into nightly maintenance, you know, event-based driven. So if the door is not closing uh, good enough, so there will be a technician that will find it during the night, so it will not... Uh, uh, they will not put the, the train anymore into the shop, etc. Uh, studies say that you can save something like 20% of your maintenance cost uh, by that. For, for them, 10% is something like 100 uh, million euros a year. So it's a, it's a huge sum. Now, sounds, sounds great, but uh, there is no policy. There is no uh, book 
uh, on how to maintain a train based on events. So uh, when do exactly do I hold this this door? Is it when it's uh, the friction is that amount or another amount? So it's a bit uh, guesstimate. I'm mm-hmm. starting with some some kind of understanding, and then you know with, with experience we should optimize the thing. And optimization goes on when to do what, but it also has other dimensions. So I don't keep any more. Uh, uh, I don't send the train to the shop. The shop cup comes to the train. So uh, I, have, I have to ma- manage my technicians. I have to manage my parts. So a lot of levels of optimization and. And uh, MN cannot, cannot do that by writing. You can set up those systems, you know, for a start, but then the system will need to learn and, and optimize itself. Does this make sense? Yes, it does. I want to make sure we get... Thank you, Shuki. Very interesting. I want to get input here from J.R. Fuller at HP Enterprise. J.R., thoughts on this? Sounds very, very provocative. Agree, disagree? Yeah, so yeah, it's very interesting. We like to talk about... So when I talk about that, uh, for example, that, that pump manufacturer, we like to talk about Bob out in the field. So Bob has been working in the field. He's been, he's been working out on an oil and gas rig for 40 years. He's got a lot of knowledge. And he's like, he's like the pump whisperer, right? He walks up to a <laughs> pump. He puts his hand on the pump, closes his eyes, says a prayer, and tells us whether or not we need to do maintenance, and that's maintenance cycle on that pump or not. Um, the problem with, and Bob is awesome at his job. Um, the, there's a couple problems. One is Bob's only about 50% accurate. So we have a type one t- error where Bob has said, pull this machine out and you take that machine off and you, uh, you take it all apart. And, um, 50% of the time, nothing's wrong with it. So you fix something that was not broken. And then you have the type two error, which is, uh, as soon as you go to fire the plant back up again, the pumps that have been sitting idle for six weeks during changeover when you were doing all your preventive maintenance, um, invariably some of them fail. Um, and those should have been identified and weren't identified. So the way we try to solve this is with data and machine learning algorithms and taking that knowledge that Bob has and institutionalize it, but also um, learning what's happening moment to moment at these devices and making decisions about their failure state. How long before they fail? Do I have a critical error coming up? Um, it's, it's a way of trying to plan your emergencies. So uh, we're trying to take that, that knowledge and, and institutionalize it. And the other, the other problem is that Bob's been there for 40 years. He's getting ready to, to leave his, his position. And, you know, certain industries like oil and gas, they haven't hired for 10 years. So, so there's no mm-hmm. one, they got a 10-year gap behind them. So really they have to use these, these technologies. And the technologies aren't perfect yet. They're really not perfect yet. Um, but we're talking about incremental gains that can make some big differences for these companies. Very interesting. Sounds like incremental is the best we're going to do, and that requires patience and poor Bob. Uh, let's turn to John Elliott at Accenture Digital. What do you think about Bob? What do you think about the train and oiling that door? How will we live without this self-adaptation of the logic, according to Shuki Dan? John Elliott? I, I uh, like both of the, the previous explanations. I, I think we talked about two drivers um, for edge analytics and ML, um, and, and those were quality and then latency in the case of the, the car. Um, the, the one point I would add is we're starting to see bandwidth constraints as well, right? And, and this is a, both a, a, you know, a potential positive and also poses some challenges. Uh, but there's a lot of low-power solutions designed to take cost, end-to-end cost, out of whatever the solutions are being delivered. So I'm referring to like Sigfox or LoRa or LTEM. 
um, with great, you know, in-ground penetration. So it works well with, uh, uh, you know, underground solutions in, in utilities or oil and gas or, or whatever it might be. Um, but we're very focused with Accenture Digital, not just on the machines, but on the interactions with people. So I, I really like uh, that JR brought up the example of Bob, because it's it, at least for the foreseeable future, it's not going to be autonomous machines that are you know making decisions, ordering spare parts and replacement fluids necessarily, but it is about making Bob more more efficient, so that you know he shows up right place, right time, right equipment uh, to do the job. And you'd be amazed at what we're seeing. I mean, we we see today people fly in helicopters out to remote locations or rigs. Uh, to go see what the problem is and what parts they need, and then they fly back and they get the parts and they get the tools, and then they fly out again and mm. they fix it. And so, just a basic level of instru- instrumentation helps a lot. And then going the next step to doing some simple ML, y- you know, can help predict uh, unplanned failures and outages. The last thing I guess I would say is it's not either or. Again, it's both cloud and edge. Um, you wouldn't want to just distribute ML to the edge. You can clean up the data and make some simple decisions. Uh, as, as I said, you have access to higher quality data, but you want to work in concert with cloud-based solutions, which is maybe where you have your data scientists focus on doing heavy-duty modeling. So when they do see anomalies, send data back to the cloud, refine your models, and then distribute the algorithms back out to the edge. It, it requires both to be successful. Thank you very much. And I'm going to turn back to Shuki Idan for one more comment from your quote, Shuki, and from your topics, rather. And we're going to go around the table briefly because we're almost ready for the crystal ball predictions round. Shuki, you say, we understand today that we need edge computing in complex and large IoT. The next thing is that edge computing needs to be flexible and capable of being updated with zero downtime. Shuki, can you comment briefly, and then we'll see what JR and John have to say? So, so I think this is what uh, John just referred to. Uh, let, let's imagine that I have some kind of uh, model that runs on, on the edge and does something like filters the, the information or transforms the information that the sensor into some kind of a signal which is meaningful for, for the system in the back. Now, in some cases, we understand that uh, what we are getting is uh, is not optimal and we need to get some, some other information or a different transformation of the information that we get. So the example that John gave is bring me some some samples, maybe even sample it more frequently for a certain period so I can refine my, my filter, send it back, I will find the right filter and then I will send it to, to this edge and maybe to other edge at the same time. So all those things that we are talking about uh, devices that may control other systems that may measure things, that may even have the safety meaning, for sure this, this, this change should be very delicate, should touch part of the logic that runs on the edge, leave all the other things running, so it needs to be done in a very elegant way, and it needs to be done, that is the, so we, we cannot put a black box over there install it and hope that for the rest of our life this box will do the same thing over and over again. It will need to to be changed and 
and we need it will need to be open for those kind of changes. Thank you very much. Uh, you know what? I'm going to circle back quickly to J.R. Fuller and John Elliott, but I want to change the, the topic very briefly here. We are almost at the predictions time, which starts in about two minutes. I just want to ask all of you, what type of data scientists will it take to manage all of this? We've been talking about the edge. We've been talking about machine learning. We've been talking about uh, intelligent IoT that's going to help with maintenance and avoid downtime. We've been talking about a lot of things, collecting the data, analyzing it, and harnessing computer resources at the edge. That's a very big task. Whose job is it to be the visionary for all of this? Let me just quickly go through the table. J.R. Fuller at HP Enterprises. What do you think, J.R.? Who's going to be running this show in the next five to ten years? This could be, you know what? Let's make this the predictions round. We're officially in, in the crystal ball. I changed my mind. My prerogative. J.R. Fuller at HPE. Sure. What do you, who, who's going to be running the show? Talk to, and how far in the future? The machines will be running the show. This is like a Terminator thing. So what I would say, and I, and I, and I know that my, my, my fellow panelists will you know, vehemently agree, is there is no single company that can do IoT by themselves. This is all about the ecosystem. This is all about bringing together those companies that manufacture the sensors and aggregate the data and compute at the edge and have the software that runs the machine learning and the virtual reality and the augmented reality and provides those data lakes and those things to the scientists and allows for the model creation and update across the uh, fleet, maybe even the monetization of that data so that, you know, you'll see people start selling their data about a press to other people. And then um, the business outcomes and the people that can help uh, the Accentures of the world who can help and transfer um, uh, revenue models, transform revenue models for companies. So, this is a huge task. There is not one company on the planet that can do it by themselves. You know, HP Enterprise is a huge company, and we have a huge uh, scope and breadth and depth, and we cannot do it by ourselves. It's all about the ecosystem. It's all about solving the needs um, that the customer has and trying to bring the right technology to move them along the path that they want to take on their IoT journey. Is there a role for the millennials in this mix, in this ecosystem, to be some of the brilliant leaders, JR? Are you kidding me? They're driving a lot of this. Ah, that's what I want. Bob's very comfortable putting his hand on the machine and being the pump whisperer. So that's where some of that fear comes in that we talked about right at the beginning of the program. And, and the right. millennials are, are, you know, they're used to having access to information immediately. They want to know something, you know, like you want us to know about Frank Herbert. They just go to their phone, pull it up, and they have the answer in their hand. They don't, they don't even ask anybody. They just go get the data and the information. And as those people are entering the workforce and demanding this level of stuff, uh, and, and I think John alluded to it before, I mean, the reason we have bring your own device to work is because the millennials and other people just said, no, I, you know, this is not acceptable that I don't have this level of connectivity and information in my hand. And that is coming to the industrial IoT in a big, big way. Thank you very much. Industrial IoT, I'm putting that into my IIoT, putting that into my tweet here. I'm going to make sure I get it right. Thank you, JR. And let's turn to John Elliott at Accenture Digital. I can give you, oh, about a minute and a half for your predictions, and you can simply agree or disagree with JR or come up with your own. Go ahead, John Elliott. Well, I, I think uh, JR nailed it in, in one sense. We, we do think that in the future to drive outcomes, services need to be delivered over an ecosystem of interconnected devices. Um, so a simple example, if, if you go to 
you know, a lot of major theme parks today, you have a very different guest experience, right? You, you have maybe a wristband that activates uh, the door lock in your room. It works as your fast pass. Um, you can pay for food and things like that. Um, so your experience is, is not just a mobile app. It's not just limited to products manufactured by one vendor, right? It's the LED on your door and the click you hear and the, the, the photos from the park on your smart TV and the kiosks out in the park, all of those things. So the ecosystem is a- absolutely key. We could give the same examples for manufacturing in a, in a variety of other areas. But back to your original question as well, there is a shift in power, right? Think about the internet economy and who are the real value creators. It's, it's a lot of the big search companies, um, and, and thankfully they've been good stewards and they're focused on making the world a better place and, and all that kind of stuff. But now the data might be coming from, uh, you know, the utility company. Maybe it's the utility company. So we've invested heavily uh, and early at, at Accenture Digital in data science and analytics and, and how we aid the enterprise and help them position. I think we have more than 1,000 data scientists, 750 with PhDs, but it's all about helping clients get their arms around their new business and where the key value control points are and understanding and addressing all of the questions we just talked about around privacy and ethics and things of that nature. So very, very exciting. Going forward, I do think there'll be a clear edge progression from ML to AI, uh, as, as we kind of talked about earlier. And, and I guess that, that, you know, my last comment would be Internet of Things, people think IP-connected devices, that, that's, you know, what lends the name Internet. But think mm-hmm. about how we interact with the Internet. We browse from site to site until we find the information we want. We're router-based and reactive. Um, there's some really interesting work going on around uh, modeling objects with APIs and hypermedia. So think about the Zeta project. And it could be that over time, machines do become increasingly autonomous, and it does start to look more and more like the true Internet in the Internet of Things. Thank you very much. And I saved, oh, Shuki, I saved about 45 seconds for your prediction. So give it to me fast, please. Shuki, Don, go ahead. So as a, as a one with a PhD in data science, uh, I think I still will have work uh, in the years to come. But really the thing to, that should happen is uh, we will have uh, algorithms in machine learning that will be able to, to learn by themselves uh, from, from experience because we have to replicate all those bobs and all those thousands and thousands of businesses that are out there that have knowledge and we need to how to do things with machine that will replace a lot of this knowledge. And I don't think that the learning curve of a human can respond quickly enough to that. So machines and terminators will play a big role in that. Wow. Okay. That's an interesting one. We'll have to check back with you in a couple of years and see if that one comes true. I want to thank J.R. Fuller at HPE, John Elliott at Accenture Digital, and Dr. Shuki Edan at SAP Lab in Israel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This has been another live edition of Future of the Future with Game Changers, and I have a call to action for you. Come on. You know what it is. All of you loyal listeners out there in a thousand places around the world who heard us last year, fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? I don't know what sensors are in it. You email me and tell me. Go out and be a game changer today. We'll be back in one hour with a new edition of Business Network Innovations with Game Changers. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. 
Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.